get back to debates on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15 with a couple of top 20 running backs and a trio of high-priced wide receivers. Hello everyone and welcome into another episode of Fantasy Football in 15 here at The Athletic. I am Michael Beller being, I hope, the first or one of the first to wish you a happy start to your weekend. Joined by Derek Van Riper. DVR, what's going on? Not much. Excited that the weekend is here and excited that we have uh, lots of news from around the league. We've got interesting player debates on tap for today, so nice little Friday. Yeah, definitely a nice little Friday. You sound like uh, Frank the Tank there. Very nice little Friday planned for <laughs> us. Uh, another sport back in action. NBA tipping off its restart with its first two seeding games on Thursday. So that a good sign. Unfortunately, we have to start this show with a little bit of a bad sign from the NFL. That being the Buffalo Bills sending their rookies home after a fifth player tested positive for COVID-19. Still just conducting meetings, not yet practicing. So Take that for what it's worth. The Bills rookies headed home. We'll see where uh, the league and all these teams are able to go from here. We are going to go from here back to our player debates without any big-time, hard, on-the-field fantasy football relevant news for us to discuss. We're going to go back to uh, our debate series and pull out a couple more to talk about, one at the running back position and one at the wide receiver position. Wide receiver, give us our first uh, three-way debate, so that'll be fun. Uh, But we're going to start with the running backs, and this one is down in RB2 land David Johnson and Chris Carson, these two guys being drafted very close to one another since July 1st. ADPs are Carson at 39.24, the RB21. Johnson at 39.56, the RB22. Two guys who I am happy to dive in on, but I'm going to lean toward David Johnson, which means you, DVR, are leaning toward Chris Carson. Why Chris Carson is the guy for you? I guess I am... A little concerned that David Johnson is just not the player we want him to be anymore. I mean, I think that's a legitimate concern. I think it's interesting that going to Houston, you know, he's clearly a big part of their offense. Big trade, of course, with DeAndre Hopkins going the other way. So they'll try to justify that by using him a lot. He doesn't have a lot of competition for carries. But Chris Carson just gets no respect. And you look at the lack of interesting options behind him, like, Bringing in Carlos Hyde at this point, I don't see Hyde as a big threat. I think the biggest threat to Chris Carson's workload is Rashad Penny, and Rashad Penny's probably not going to be healthy to begin the season. And even if he were, it would still probably be more of a complimentary role. I think Chris Carson is one of these guys that can get you at least four and a half yards per carry. He can get 15 carries every single week, and he's not a ghost in the passing game. I think he's got a much higher floor than people give him credit for. But you're also buying into a Seattle offense led by one of the league's best quarterbacks. And I think the way that they've put a few more weapons around Russell Wilson in recent years, having two really good receivers in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, just gives me a lot more confidence and opportunities for Chris Carson to find the end zone. This is a classic, a rising tide lifts all boats sort of bit of analysis. But I think the Seattle offense, despite the presence of Brian Schottenheimer as the offensive coordinator, is one that I increasingly trust as one of the league's better offenses. And they're going to be in a lot of close games. I think they're going to have to have run-pass balance. So this is a team that is good enough to be one of the league's best offenses. Carson is the lead dog in that backfield. He has the ability to catch some passes. And look, I think the touchdowns last year especially, just seven TDs on the ground for Chris Carson, uh, two 
as a receiver. That actually seems a bit light for a guy that went well over 300 touches in this offense. I think he's actually got a little bit of positive regression coming. Maybe a guy that can find the end zone you know, 12 total times this season, given the expectation that I have for his role. So uh, what he probably lacks in pass-catching ceiling compared to David Johnson, I think Chris Carson actually can make up for that as being a better runner at this stage of their respective careers. Yeah, I will admit right off the jump here that arguing against Chris Carson is uncomfortable for me because I do think that he is one of the more underappreciated players in the fantasy game. He's RB21 in ADP right now, but last year he was the RB10 in half PPR leagues. The year before that, he was the RB14 in half PPR leagues, and things have not changed for a negative way for Chris Carson in Seattle. So it's hard for me to square with why he is this low. He's proved that he can do it even without being a huge part of the passing game. You're right, he's not a ghost, but still not a huge part of the passing game. And that hasn't bothered his fantasy production one bit either of the last two seasons. So this is not an anti-Chris Carson take. I am not here to make the anti-Chris Carson case. I will say that... Even in Doug Baldwin's heyday, uh, Russell Wilson has probably never had a a pair of receivers quite as good as Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, quite as explosive maybe is the better way to say that. He's just never really had a weapon like DK Metcalf, so even though Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer aren't going to change their stripes, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go a little bit more to the passing game this season because of the unique weapon that DK Metcalf represents in Carroll and Wilson's tenure. But that's enough on Chris Carson. Let me go to the guy who I am arguing for, and that is David Johnson. People want to look at his full season numbers last year and dog him, and I get it. It's easy. He was on the wrong side of a bad trade. I love DeAndre Hopkins. You know that DVR. That was an unjustifiable trade for Houston to make, Uh, and so it makes it even easier to dog David Johnson for what he did last year. But the six games before he got hurt, suffered a high ankle sprain, and was clearly not the same guy when he came back from that. The six games before that got 106 touches, 30 of which were catches in just six games, 613 yards from scrimmage, and five touchdowns. He was a top 10 running back on the day that he got hurt. And then at that point, he was just not the same. He actually managed to play seven games, participate in, maybe is the better way to say that, after he came back from the ankle injury, but got just 24 touches, 102 yards from scrimmage. And the fact that he did, when you look at his full season numbers and you see that he did that over 13 games, you lose the context of the fact that he was very good before he hurt his ankle. And now as bad as that trade was, as totally indefensible as it was to ship out DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson and take on that contract. Bottom line is that Bill O'Brien is going to be very, very motivated, I think, to prove he was right. He is going to get David Johnson all the work that he can handle. I think we're going to see easily 300-plus touches, pushing up toward 350 touches. You look at the rest of the running backs in Houston, I don't think anyone really scares you all that much. Duke Johnson? I mean, Duke Johnson has already played one full year for Bill O'Brien in a year where they really didn't have a whole lot going on at the running back position. He got 83 carries and 62 targets. I mean, even the 62 targets for a player like Duke Johnson doesn't stand out at you because that's basically all Duke Johnson does. It's not like he got 100-plus targets as this big-time receiving back. I think that you could put David Johnson in a group with um, maybe only Christian McCaffrey as players who could lead their team in both carries and targets. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it definitely is is in a realistic range of outcomes. And at that point, I don't think we need David Johnson to be the player he was that one year in Arizona. The volume for him is going to be so, so immense. And even without 
uh, DeAndre Hopkins here. You look at Houston, you look at the rest of the AFC South, this team's going to be a contender. This team's not going to be some 4-12 and doormat. They're going to be in games. They still have Deshaun Watson. That's going to do a whole lot for David Johnson playing with a quarterback like that who requires so much of the defense's attention, both for what he can do down the field and what he can do with his own legs. The wide receivers have injury questions of their own when you're talking about the top two being Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller. I just think that the volume for David Johnson is unquestioned. So even if the efficiency isn't there, I see an easy 320-touch double-digit touchdown, 1,200, 1,300-yard-from-scrimmage season for David Johnson on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, I think it's attainable. I do think the presence of Duke Johnson limits the receiving ceiling. If Duke were to get hurt or if he were to get released or something unexpectedly, that would kind of nudge me up a little bit in terms of what I expect David Johnson's usage to look like. I wonder how much of his struggles breaking tackles. You look at Chris Carson versus David Johnson. Chris Carson breaks a ton of tackles. David Johnson kind of at the lower end in that stat. Mm-hmm. How much of that was the ankle injury last year? You know, like that's a, a question you have to think about. How much better is the Texans offensive line potentially going to be than Arizona's line a year ago? Uh, you know, how much does the presence of Deshaun Watson change the way that teams play the run? And how does that impact Johnson's efficiency? I, I mean, I think there are some reasons to think things can get better for him. But we're getting pretty far away from the point at which David Johnson was a truly elite back. So I'm I'm trying not to buy into something that simply is physically not possible because he just might be a different player now than he was four years ago. It's a completely fair argument, and our guy Emery Hunt has been an anti-David Johnson person, not personally, but just on the football <laughs> field for at least a year now. I know Emery uh, thought he's a, more of a receiver than a running back, so Emery's uh, opinion definitely carries some weight, so we'll drop that in here. Uh, let's move over to our second debate at the wide receiver position. This is more a discussion than a debate because we have three people uh, who we want to talk about here. They are Amari Cooper, Cooper Cup, and Juju Smith-Schuster. They're part of a group of six receivers that are being selected within three picks of one another. These three guys are being selected within just more than one ADP spot of one another. Cooper Cup comes off the bird first in a typical draft, an ADP of 36.82. He's the wide receiver 12. Uh, Then you go about a pick later to uh, Amari Cooper, 36.98, not even a pick later, a wide receiver 13. Then you get a pick later, Juju Smith-Schuster, 37.99, wide receiver 14. So it really is almost a three-sided coin flip situation between Cup, Cooper, and Juju. All guys clearly have their charms. No one who I would be disappointed in having on my team. When you look at this trio DVR, who stands out to you most and why? You know, I had this exact problem in the Raz Bowl. I had the 12th overall pick at the 3-4 turn. I was looking at all three of these receivers and Adam Thielen, was available as well. So I had to think through this, and it's not easy on the fly, especially with a little more time to think about it for the show. Um, I I think I'm in the camp that of these three players, the situation of Juju Smith-Schuster is probably the best all around. I think Cooper Cup could be a target monster, and in full PPR, he could end up being the best of this group. There's so little that separates them. Like You could absolutely make that argument. I think that's reflected in that slightly earlier ADP, that the market has this little preference for him over the bunch. But the key difference here is Juju has a healthy Ben Roethlisberger. Cooper Cup has to deal with Jared Goff. And I think at this point, even at this stage of his career, I'm still more comfortable with Roethlisberger. I do think the Steelers can take more shots downfield than the Rams can, so you get a little more big playability. You know, it's going to be interesting to see if Juju Smith-Schuster can bounce back, be healthy, and truly 
dominate like a number one receiver without the presence of Antonio Brown, because that was the other thing that changed last season, aside from having to do with backup quarterbacks and just the mediocre play that came along with that. Juju himself wasn't healthy. I'm buying into what we saw two years ago from him as his true talent level. So of these three, I have Juju at the top of the list. I have Cup second, and I have Amari Cooper third. It's not because I don't like Amari Cooper. I mean, I think Amari Cooper is capable of pushing up and being the best of this group as well. All these guys are close enough where you could legitimately make a case for any of them. I actually think the problem with Amari Cooper, as I make a decision in situations like this, he has the most competition for targets. He might be in the best all-around offense, but there are a lot of ways things can go. Michael Gallup's really emerging to be a great number two. They drafted CeeDee Lamb. It's an offense that obviously runs the ball a ton with Ezekiel Elliott, and Elliott does have a presence as a pass catcher. So I just think there's a lot of ways that you know things can scale back a little bit for Cooper, especially in the touchdown department. I think that's one area where his opportunities in the red zone could dry up and he may score a little bit less, and that might actually pull him back down just a little bit in 2020. So for me, Juju 1, Cup 2, Cooper 3. Yeah, um, I'm going to give you a round of applause because I think you knocked that out of the park. Uh, I'm in the exact same order, uh, unfortunately. So uh, for I mean, I'd said at the top, this is a discussion, not a debate, right? I think you are spot on with this. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster, I understand the concerns about can he be a number one. I don't worry at all about last year, but I do think you know, we've never seen him be a one without uh, without Antonio Brown there. But you go back to what he did in 2018. 111 receptions on 166 targets, 1,426 yards, and seven touchdowns. When he did that, he became just the 18th receiver in NFL history to hit those reception and yardage thresholds in the same season. And the other 17, you've heard of them. Antonio Brown, Isaac Bruce, Marvin Harrison, Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, Julio Jones, Herman Moore, Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, guys like that. You don't luck your way, or you don't, you know, num- the number one guy's taking all this attention, so I'm going to do this. You don't have that sort of season just by doing that. Juju Smith-Schuster, to me, proved himself capable of being a number one receiver that season. You get Ben Roethlisberger back under center, basically always in his healthy years has been able to produce a top 10 receiver and then another wide receiver too. And yeah, part of that has to do with the fact that he played a lot of those years with Antonio Brown. But still, this offense, this quarterback, it's always producing a very high level, high volume, high production wide receiver. And I think Juju is easily that guy. You pretty much nailed it exactly. I feel the same way what you said about Cup and about Amari Cooper. For Amari Cooper, I'll just add this to the fact. You you mentioned um, uh, Michael Gallup. You mentioned C.D. Lamb. Let's not forget about the extremely high-volume running back that they have in the backfield in Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, That's going to take a whole lot of work away from the entire passing game, not just uh, just, uh, Amari Cooper, but really all the receivers there. So that's something else that I think has to be factored in. I don't think you have quite those same concerns in certainly Los Angeles now that Todd Gurley is gone, and not even in Pittsburgh, even with the healthy James Conner there. I still think you're going to see not quite the volume dedicated to the running game in Pittsburgh that you are going to see in Dallas. So a little bit of agreement. And really, what better way to sign off for the weekend than with a little bit of agreement on these wide receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster, number one for us, Cooper Cup, number two, Amari Cooper, 
number three. We'll be sure to hit those other three wide receivers in that same cluster on a later episode, but we got to wrap it up for today. We got to sign off on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Please give us a rating, a review, and a subscription. That would be great. We would significantly appreciate it. And if you are not yet an Athletic subscriber, you can get 40% off a subscription if you go to theathletic.com slash football in 15. For DVR, I'm Michael Beller. Fantasy Football in 15 will be back with you next week. Have a great weekend.